And obviously, if, the, if, if hiring people for low wages was, was really a problem to the business community, they'd do something about it. But the business community likes to have an underclass of people that they can exploit because it, it makes it competitive. I mean, right now, for the first time in history, there's more jobs available that people won't take. But you know, when you're asking somebody to have a master's degree for $40,000 a year, no wonder nobody wants to be a teacher. You can make more money at Walmart as a cashier and a greeter than you can teaching students. Right. And you know, I'm going to work 10 years before I can compete with the Walmart wage. Not to mention student debt while along the way as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, there's not a shortage of workers. There's, there's, there's a shortage of workers willing to be exploited at this point. Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about nonviolent MMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning MMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Contact me directly on Twitter or by emailing me at activistmmt at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron. Patrons get exclusive, super early access to nearly every episode, and they also get the opportunity to ask my academic guests questions. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash activistmmt. Thank you to all my patrons for your continued faith and support, and thank you for becoming one if you can, and for sharing this around if you can't. Finally, I'm also developing a large collection of Learn MMT resources, which you can find at activistmmt.org. Thanks. What's going on? I'm glad it's working. Yeah, I, I did good, good timing. Rainy, good timing? Su- rainy Sunday morning. Oh, is it? Oh, I hope it's not raining in here. Hold on, I actually want to look. Hold on a second. Good. Okay. Oh, thank goodness it's not raining here. I just stripped my fence. I got to paint it, but I got to get it time to dry before I do that. Where are you? <laughs> I'm in Haddon Township. Uh, in uh, I'm right across from Philly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. 
yeah, I, I used a power washer for the first time. I feel is, like a man. Isn't a power washer? Isn't there something zen about using a power washer? It's addictive. I, I, I don't, all I know is that I felt like a gorilla when I was done. I felt like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like pounding my chest and (laughs) I bought an, um, we just moved into our first home. So we have gotten a lot of work done and we finally just finished like all the major first stuff and like we're incredibly in debt, (laughs) um, uh, because we're both teachers and we moved during the summer and we have no income. Um, so we got gutters, we got our tree trimmed, we got uh, shingles fixed. Not not the roof had problems, but not enough to be re, you know redone. We just patched it up. Um, and uh, uh, what was I saying? What was I saying? I don't remember. But anyway, washer. yeah. So so uh, the fence is really nice cedar fence. It's a huge backyard and. There's a pool, so there has to be a, a fully enclosed fence, and it's starting. It's not starting. It has a lot of, you know, it's growing like flowery sure. mold or whatever it is, and it's like if I don't take care of it now, we're gonna have to. How much is how much is a an enormous fence made? A really nice enormous fence going to cost six to ten thousand dollars? I have no idea, but it's not something I want to even consider. So, I power wash six panels. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't and that? Did you hope you didn't push the pulp out of the wood by going too hard? I it was really it was actually really hard to figure out the right balance because you have to do it hard enough to peel off the paint, but you don't want to do it harder than that to completely destroy the wood. So it, that was like a challenge. It was really a challenge. That's is unreal how powerful that thing is. So it's where gas, where are you in the process now? Did you, did you stain it? Did you? No, I just finished power washing it yesterday. Yesterday? Oh, well, you may before, want to check the weather two before, days you, ago. before you apply any uh, anything to the surface. Say it again. You may want to check the weather before you apply apply anything to the surface of that thing. If it's yeah. going to rain or be very humid, you might want to wait till a dry day. Right, right, right. So, yeah. So, anyway. So, what's going on with you? Well, I'm, I'm working for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. That's pretty ironic. <laughs> Especially since whenever possible, I take the coning detail. So In the not- what? It's called the coning detail. Somebody has to put the cones down on Hudson oh. Street and pick them up. Okay. And uh, I know there, there's there's something zen about me putting cones down after Christy said, actually, I was the guy that put the cones there. I was wearing overalls and a hard hat, so he didn't recognize me. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. He, All right. Well, he, we'll, we'll, we'll totally get into that story. That's for sure. Um, so, Bill Brennan, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? Happy to be here. I'm doing great. Great. Um, so uh, could you please, uh, why don't we start, can you please introduce yourself? And then can you work your way towards summer of 2017? I, I, I actually don't remember specifically how we met. You know, I, that's a good question. I don't either. It was all a blur to me, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question. My name is Bill Brennan. I'm a retired firefighter from the township of Teaneck. I had a 10-year legal battle with them from the time I was president of the union till the time they settled with me for a very large amount of money to be encouraging me to take an early retirement. Um, based on my activism, I became sort of a lightning rod or magnet for people that were being discriminated against and harassed in other civil service jurisdictions. And, you know, there was a tremendous amount of frustration from public employees because most attorneys were reluctant to take on a municipal or county government based upon the fact that there was an unlimited supply of money and, and a very limited supply of rational thinking on the part of the defense counsels for 
these agencies. I mean, it was just a, a bonanza, a cash bonanza for anybody who, who latched on to a, a retaliatory, discriminatory regime. They would just defend the indefensible ad nauseum and in perpetuity and bleed plaintiff's counsel to the, you know, grind them into the ground. So I started helping people manage their own cases and, you know, I began studying, learning more and more about the law. I learned a lot about the law involving my case with Teaneck. Um, I actually had a jury trial where I tried the case myself in federal court and I got a favorable outcome. So, you know, one thing led to the other. I left Teaneck in 2006. I went and I got an associate's degree and then I got a bachelor's degree and then I got a law degree. And during the course of that time, you know, I continue to help people along the way. And, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to, like, I don't really recall what the chain of events was, but at some point, you know, it became obvious that Chris Christie was a vile, despicable, untrustworthy, and, and self-aggrandizing individual. Governor and, of the Republican governor of New Jersey. Yes. And at some point during the... Bridgegate. I, I was I was an avid consumer of po- political news at the time, and it was painfully obvious to me that what Chris Christie had done was committed an act of official misconduct. And not to bore people, but one one form of official misconduct is, and I'll quote: "If with purpose." To deprive another of a benefit or injure another, a public official refrains from taking an official act knowing it was part of his duties. He's guilty of official misconduct. Now, that fits the, the, the conduct of allowing David Wildstein and Bridget Kelly to close access lanes to Fort Lee as punishment for the mayor of Fort Lee refusing to endorse Christie's, the, the Democratic, let's get this clear, the Democratic mayor of Fort Lee refusing to endorse a Republican gubernatorial candidate. He used a, a, a very powerful bi-state agency that's created by federal compact as an act of Congress. So it's sort of immune to, to scrutiny. And he used that agency to inflict harm on the constituents of the Democratic mayor of Fort Lee. And you know, he claimed he didn't do it. He didn't know about it, and that was his his. You know, he he, he didn't know it, Manning about it. He was he was he was flabbergasted or gobsmacked or whatever his his outrageous denials were that this was going on. Well, they did try two scapegoats, Richard <laughs> Kelly and Bill Baroni. Can Bill- you just say the say the uh, say the agency name, which is now your employer? Oh, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I should not assume that people remember this. So uh, the, the port of <clears throat> the port authority is a complicated mess that a lot of people don't understand. And, you know, even the people that work there don't understand a lot about, about the amount of power it has and, and the jurisdiction it has, but they tried Bridget Kelly and Bill Baroni. Now, Bill Baroni and, and Bridget Kelly were junior in authority and direction and the ability to give orders at the Port Authority that, to David Wildstein. And for the first time in, in my lifetime, I've noticed that the prosecutors made a deal with a defendant to get people lower in the food chain. For instance, when, when they make a drug arrest, they don't 
they don't tell the dealer, yeah, if you give us your buyers, we'll let you go. But, usually the other direction. Yeah, they, they usually trade upward. In this case, they went downward. So during the trial of Bridget Kelly and Bill Baroni, it started out the prosecutor, the federal prosecutor said that there would be witnesses and evidence who are going to come to court and testify that Chris Christie knew about this while it was going on and took no action. Now remember, if with purpose to deprive another of benefit or injure another, he knowingly refrains from performing a duty that's clearly inherent in the nature of his office. The elements are there. Chris Christie was told, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. Clearly inherent in the nature of the office of governor of the state of New Jersey is to stop a retaliatory action that was impacting thousands of Jersey residents. So the elements were met. All I needed was the witnesses to testify. And someone died, right? An ambulance, something about an ambulance where someone died because of those, because of what happened, right? Yeah. And, and the defense was she was 90 anyway, which you know reminds me a lot about the COVID thing. Well, they were going to die anyway. So who cares if they die of COVID? Yeah. She was 90 anyway. So like what, what was the difference was the, the mindset of the Christie apologists. Okay. I mean, you know, and things like you know, when, when they said the kids can't get to school, they're laughing about the kids can't get to school on the first day of school. And, um, and Bridget says, that, well, you know, they're, they're, they're Buono, Barbara Buono, that was Christie's opponent at the time, they're Buono voters anyway. Mm-hmm. And the callous disregard for the, the impact they were having on people. Nobody could get to work. Nobody could get to school. Nobody could get to the hospital. Nobody could get to doctor's appointments or nail appointments or hair appointments or pizza delivered or anything. Um, because this guy had so much, you know, insane power that, that he, it went to his head and he thought he could inflict harm on people because they didn't do what he wanted. And he's still that way. If you don't do what he wants, he hurts you. So in anticipation that David Wildstein was going to testify that he told Chris Christie that the lanes were closed and why they were closed, I started attending the trial. Mm-hmm. And when I attended the trial, I, I, I wanted to have enough evidence of probable cause to believe that an act of official misconduct had taken place. Hmm. So when Wildstein was testifying, I went down to court. I sat in the courtroom. I waited. He testified. Not only did he testify that, that he was with Chris Christie on September 13th, 2013, but he provided a picture of the two of them laughing at ground zero. So he corroborated the fact that that the time and place, the conversation took place and it was contemporaneous with the closing of the, of the lanes in Fort Lee. By ground zero, you mean ground zero of this issue, not like nine 11. No, I mean, they were at a nine 11 ceremony. Oh, oh, really was nine 11. Okay. On on nine, on nine 11, they were together. I'm sorry. I said nine 13, nine 13 was when it was when, when, uh, the director of the port authority found out about it and made them stop. But on 9-11, 2013, David Wildstein and Chris Christie were photographed together laughing at Ground Zero. Okay. David Wildstein then testified that he told Chris Christie about the lane closures in Fort Lee. And Chris Christie said, oh, I'm sure you wouldn't be involved in anything political. Nod, nod, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Not, you did what? To do what? Undo that right now. Had he done that, there'd have been no crime. But he he... He refrained from performing a duty clearly inherent in the nature of his office, which was to put an immediate, take a firm and direct stand against retaliation, fire everybody involved, and open those lanes. Hmm. So I left the courtroom. I went to the Fort Lee Municipal Court, 
and I signed a, compl- a citizen's complaint against Chris Christie for violating the 2C statute of official misconduct. <laughs> and so began. <laughs> and so it began. <laughs> so Fortley uh, has a conflict of interest because their mayor appointed them. So they, they send it to the, the Central Bergen Municipal Vicinage Court where Judge Roy McGeady was presiding. And he holds a probable cause hearing. And Chris Christie sends a guy named Craig Carpenito. And remember that name because um, it's going to become relevant soon to show you how these people have two sets of laws that apply to them and not, and not to us. So Carpenito is angry that he's not allowed to cross-examine me at the, at the, the probable cause hearing. So Judge, Judge McGee correctly and appropriately says, this is a probable cause hearing. You don't get to cross-examine the, 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 the complainant. That's never been done before. I don't know what you're talking about. You, you know, you can participate as a witness and you can make any objections you want after the fact, but Mr. Brennan will testify. So I testified, but I didn't just testify to what I heard. I went to the federal courthouse and I got a copy of the transcript of Wildstein testi- Wildstein's testimony. So now I have sworn testimony from a witness for the prosecution for the United States of America swearing under oath and under penalty of perjury that he told Chris Christie the lanes were closed and why. Hmm. That's pretty damning evidence. Hmm. Certainly enough to, meet, to make it more likely than not that he committed an act of, of, of official misconduct. Judge appropriately and correctly found probable cause was established. Well, hmm. when that finding hit, it, it, it was like a shot heard around the world. The BBC News was on the phone with me within a half an hour. I don't, know how, I don't know how the BBC got my phone number. The Wall Street Journal was on the phone with me. Everybody wanted to talk to me about this. Um, and suddenly Chris Christie knew your name. Well, he knew my name before that, but he didn't, now he was concerned with me. Okay. So it the, the Craig Carpenito, the, the defense lawyer that Chris Christie hired, files an appeal. First, he asked that the assignment judge to Bergen County dismiss the finding of probable cause. And the assignment judge for the Superior Court says, no, she's not doing that. But as a a consolation prize, she's going to allow them to bring me back for a second probable cause hearing to testify and then where I'd be subject to cross-examination. Now, the purpose of that was just, I think, to delay the matter, to get things things lined up, to to figure out how they're going to get out of it, to buy them some time. So they schedule another probable cause hearing, but in the interim, Bridget Kelly goes and is, testifies that when Chris Christie came back from Ground Zero, where that that huckle and chuckle conversation was was photographed, she told him in her office that the lanes were closed in Fort Lee and that there were people complaining that it was political, and he took no action. So I got that transcript and I brought mm. it with me for my second probable cause hearing. Now we go to mm. the same probable cause hearing, same judge. Christie has the absolute right to cross-examine me. This is what he demanded. He realizes I have even more damning evidence. Now I got sworn testimony from the defendant that corroborates the prosecution's main witness. There was no dispute between the defense and the prosecution in the United States District Court that Chris Christie knew on 9-11-2013 that the lanes were closed and it was political. Okay. They chose not to cross-examine me. Oh, wow. Okay, so so probable cause stood? Right, they, I believe it did. By the second finding of probable cause. Yeah, okay. So now now probable cause has been determined twice. 
they decide they're going to, they're, they're very angry. They, they, they say that I just did this to satisfy my prurient interest in seeing my number of Twitter followers increase. Mm-hmm. So this was Craig Carpenito's argument in front of the assignment judge that I'm sexually gratifying myself by watching my <laughs> Twitter followers increase in number. And it had nothing to do with my interest in good government. And, and it would not, never have happened if they didn't push you. Well, if, if, if they, they, they I mean, the second probable cause, the, the second the, probable cause wouldn't never would have happened at all. They insisted on it. They got, they asked for it, they got it. And then they weren't happy with the results. So they asked the assignment judge to dismiss the case, the assignment said, judge said, and, and now what was interesting is, remember at the time this happened, the prosecutor um, and the and the the Bergen County prosecutor had jurisdiction, as did the state attorney general, both of whom served at the pleasure and discretion of Chris Christie. There was a severe mm-hmm. conflict of interest. He could fire either one of them or both of them if they didn't do as he said. Mm-hmm. So I asked for a special prosecutor to be appointed because there was an obvious conflict of interest. Uh, my request was denied. They, the prosecutor and the attorney general and the defense attorney all sat on the same side of the table against me and moved for dismissal from the judge. And the judge said, I'm not dismissing this case. The probable cause was appropriately found, and this is a serious charge. So ultimately... The Bergen County prosecutor and the attorney general administratively dismissed the charge that a judge on two occasions found had probable cause and and the request had been denied. Can you please define uh, administrative dismissal versus, I guess, whatever, judicial dismissal? The prosecutor used his discretion and said he didn't want to prosecute the case. He claimed that there wouldn't be enough evidence to get a conviction, which, which without ever interviewing any witnesses or examining any of the evidence. And the prosecutor that did that was subject to dismissal if he didn't by Chris Christie. Okay. But just let me let me tell you what the aftermath of this was. The judiciary changed the court rules so that citizens can no longer bring uh, criminal complaints against public officials. Mm-hmm. Craig Carpenito became the U.S. attorney for the District of New Jersey in, during the Trump administration. Christopher Ray, who was with King and Spaulding, who had been in possession of Chris Christie's cell phone, that the, that the federal prosecutors and the FBI were looking for for over a year and a half. He had it in his desk the whole time and never offered it up when he found that they were looking for it. Became the director of the FBI. Hmm. Um, three of the witnesses became either prosecutors for the state of New Jersey or judges for the state of New Jersey, the ones that had memory losses. So the only people that suffered any consequences were the ones that, that accurately depicted the events as they, they transpired with respect to Chris Christie knowing about the lane closures. So it is now much more difficult to do citizen complaints? You can't file one if it's a public official. They're, they're insulated. They, they said, we can't keep having citizens hold us accountable. And they changed the court rules. And, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, this is why I, I'm, I'm really not participating much in the process anymore, because I think the system has been tilted so far in favor of, of those in power that we're no longer in a democracy or, or, uh, or a representative republic anymore. We're, we're completely controlled by the oligarchs and the people in power. And we have absolutely no recourse when they decide to do things. It's interesting. You're now you're talking, you know, usually I focus on a federal level. You're, you're, this, you're talking significantly on a state level. Well, except that the U.S. attorney for the District of New Jersey is a federal appointee. Hmm. And, and they took a man who took uh, uh, an altruistic 
civic-minded plaintiff with a valid case and probable cause and accused him of sexually gratifying himself in, in court. This was his legal argument in front of a judge, that I was gratifying myself by bringing these charges, and therefore the case should be dismissed. And that sort of, of disgusting legal mentality became a U.S. attorney, not a, an assistant U.S. attorney. He was the U.S. attorney for the District of New Jersey. He decided who got prosecuted and who didn't get prosecuted in every federal case that took that every federal crime and every federal civil case that, 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 that the state would bring in the state of New Jersey. That was his reward for being mm. such a disgusting person. Wow. So we'll move forward. The, um, well, you, you'll give us, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good sources that can tell a lot more of the story for people who are interested. So I'll, I'll put those in the show notes. Um, but if there's anything else regarding that before we move on. Say well, what, the notoriety that led me to have a, a bit of a following. Um, Curtis Sliwa would have me on. Uh, Channel 4 had a lot of, had a lot of stuff. Uh, my Twitter followers did, in fact, uh, you know, increase in numbers. And I decided that I would run for governor in the Democratic primary. And I'm not sure when I made that decision or, 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 or how it came about, but it just seemed like this was an opportunity. I, I didn't think I was going to win. Um, I, I really didn't take any money from anybody. I didn't raise any money, but it gave me a platform to speak about my ideas. And somewhere along the line, I don't know where, I met you. Um, I, I think it might have been, actually, I, I can't even guess. Um, we'd have to look at Citizens Media TV and find out <laughs> where well, that. I, it's, there's a tag, Bill Brennan, so I can actually quickly click click on that. And then we'll see. So I had a lot of ideas about offshore wind and, you know, what the Port Authority could be doing with its bus terminal and we, you legalizing know what? cannabis. Uh, we have – there's an interview, a live stream interview where the audio – where the video went nuts on uh, March 27th, 2018 on uh, New Jersey's proposed changes to pending citizens' complaints – to render citizens' complaints ineffective. So it's actually exactly that issue was, was the first thing that I have about what we talked about. Anyway. No, we had been in touch throughout the, all of 17. The 18th, was that was the, the aftermath of this. They waited until it was quiet. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. This is out of order. That's one of the last ones, I think, actually. Anyway. Anyway, so, you, so yeah, you, so you ran for governor. Somehow we met, and uh, that summer was really exciting. Yeah, it was a really exciting summer. I met a lot of really good people, you know, substantially because of you, Mark Zinna, and um, and uh, yeah, it was it. And and I actually had one of my like really interesting experiences of, and this is you, you know, you made this happen. Was I moderated a debate outside of the official debate? <laughs> that was yeah. so much fun. That was such a cool experience. Yeah, the outcast debate. Those of us that didn't raise enough money to, to, to qualify to be on the stage, the, the publicly funded stage, um, were not permitted to attend. So it wasn't a matter of how many signatures you had or how much support you had or where you were polling and where you were in the polls. It was, did you meet the threshold of a couple hundred thousand dollars in donations? Um, you know, If you had enough money, your ideas were to be aired and, and your, your position was to be argued and you're, you were able to debate with the people that were raising cash. But those that, that didn't have cash were left out. And thanks to you and a couple other people, we had we were able to debate issues and we, we sort of did a guerrilla uh, a guerrilla debate outside their debate. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll link to the video and, and uh, my information about that. Um, so, yeah. So, so how, so let's describe, oh, and also, and also the court case, 
that I, I witnessed you in a court case. So those were David the three- Sampson. And, yeah. and, and I mean, I don't want to tie you up with that, but that was another example of people doing exactly what they want and having no little or no consequences. So, so, okay. So can you, why, why don't we spend a few minutes and talk about your experience of running for governor of who you met and, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit of the memories of how, how I tied into that because I, I like filmed some stuff. I, I was into local journalism at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I actually, I think it's fair to say that I was the, I was the person who covered the secondary candidates the most in that yes, campaign. Absolutely. You know, yeah. if, 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 if it was a symbiotic relationship, we, we were pre- creating content that would help you get, viewers and you were creating, providing an outlet for us where, where people could find information that wasn't being broadcast by the, you know, the professional, quote unquote, the, the commercial news companies, the, the, the for-profit news companies. Right. And and I have a whole lot of uh, interviews and articles and, and related stuff on which I'll, I'll link in the show notes. Um, it's just, yeah, really interesting. So, so, so talk about, talk about your experience. Um, in uh, the in the campaign and in, with the people that you met and and related to you know trying to get attention for candidates that were significantly ignored by the mainstream media. Well, um, you know, I'm I'm more of a progressive working man's union backing um, organized labor and and anti oligarch candidate, and I really thought that I was going to have severe differences of opinion with Phil Murphy. And I thought I was going to align myself well with, with John Wisniewski. Mm. And oh, I, found them both, I found them both to be gentlemen um, on the campaign trail. But Wisniewski's campaign supporters were just not snotty and obnoxious to me and my, to me and my supporters. Whereas the, the Murphy campaign, the Murphy was a gentleman and, and he's really a nice guy. Um, his people were very friendly and, and, and they, didn't, they weren't making it, an, uh, uh, you know, a troll fest. They were, they were, they were taking my idea seriously. They were, they were, you know, in, in some cases they took my ideas verbatim and used them as their own. And I, and I was thrilled with that. I was mm. literally felt that was a serious form of flattery because look, we all knew Murphy was going to win. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's just the, he had enough money to, to, to carpet bomb the country, the, the, the countryside with, with his advertising and his name recognition. But more importantly, he had the county committee chair people, mm-hmm. and they just they they carry two hundred thousand votes just without you know. They, we'll tell you later who you're voting for. This is what you're voting who, who you're voting for. Mm-hmm. So, but we're very fortunate in that the guy is altruistic, well-meaning, and and able to you know handle the complicated machinery of New Jersey government. I think he's doing an outstanding job. Um, I, I I don't really know myself. I don't really follow it very closely. My very kind of distant opinion is that he's doing a pretty decent job, it, it, and you know there are some issues. But he also it is also true that he completely bought the office. Yeah, he he well he bought it. He bought the county committee chairs, the, the county chair people, the party bosses, and you know I'm a realist at this point. I I didn't think I was going to beat him. I mean, there was this, there was after that social justice debate. That, that uh, oh yeah, where you said that amazing line, which I'm going to insert uh, the audio if I can find it. Um, you, you remember the line that you said that got a big cheer? 
uh, well, it was a, it was a it was a long answer to a short question. The question was, well, I got I mean I got a standing ovation a couple times, but the 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 question was, should you be allowed to vote if you've been convicted of a crime? And you know, I, I said something to the effect of, there are certain crimes that if you commit them, you should never be allowed to vote again. And the room kind of got like, oh, where's this guy coming from? It was, you know, largely African-American audience. And I said, and those crimes include uh, closing bridges, uh, <laughs> official misconduct. And I named all the white collar crimes. And then, you know, people like, oh, yeah, okay. And I said, other than that, if you've paid your debt to society, you should be able to vote. And if you're mm-hmm. not going to, if you're not going to, if I can't get the legislature to, to bend to my will as a governor who wants to free the people of the state to, to vote, then I'll pardon them all and, they'll, mm-hmm. and then they'll vote. Um, I, I, I remember that, but that's not the one that I was thinking of. Oh, what were you thinking of? Uh, I don't remember the question. I just remember you saying this country was built on the backs of blacks and the blood of Native Americans. Oh, this was founded on two things, on, on the, 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 the genocide of Native Americans and the sl- enslavement of African Americans. Yeah. And we're still fighting. And, th- and here we are to this day. Uh, Native Americans are standing their ground at Standing Rock and something about African Americans are still being arrested, mm-hmm. you know, and put in jail for like slaves. Mm-hmm. And that was about the 13th Amendment, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which outlaws slavery, slavery except in, as a matter of punishment for crime. Right. So, so, still now, have now, so now we just changed the definition of crime to, yeah. There are certain crimes that if you commit them, you should never be able to participate in the electoral process again. Those crimes include official misconduct, extortion, bribery, closing bridges. And with the exception of crimes touching upon public employment, if you have served your time, then you should be allowed to participate. Because as Mr. Zinna said, as I alluded to before, we have a Jim Crow system that carries forward. We can connect today's incarceration nation directly back to slavery. It is exactly the reason they're doing it. We had lease labor after Reconstruction. And what was that? Put black people in jail, make them work, lease them out to their former owners. And what are we doing today? We have the Corrections Corporation of America making money on our misery. And this has got to stop. So, so in no uncertain terms, am I going to continue Jim Crow? I'm going to come up here and I'm going to go there and I'm going to go everywhere. And I'm going to tell the truth about what our nation is doing to its own people. Our nation was built upon two things, the genocide of Native, Native Americans and the enslavement of African Americans. And today, in the United States of America, right now, Native Americans are standing their ground in Standing Rock against the government of the United States, and African Americans are still locked up in prisons and working for corporations as if slavery never ended. And that, my friends, is how we're going to stop it. And if I cannot get the answer, the question was, what am I going to do about it? If I cannot get the legislature to bend to the will of my needs as a governor who wants to free the people of this state, then I will use the power of my office to pardon every single non-violent. And then we'll vote. Thank you.
useless not to say yes, stop. Yes, stop. Yes, stop. Mr. Singh, would you like to follow? I think a lot of the things he said are accurate, and I fully agree that once you've done your time, you need to get your right to vote back, because that's an American right. Now, tap on top of the things that you should not get the uh, right to vote back when for. I, the one time I got to be on the stage with, with all of the major candidates, I, I'm not pat myself on the back, but I blew them all off of the stage. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, you, you really, you really did get quite a lot of reception that night. And, you know, and I thought for a second, wow, maybe, maybe I do have a chance. And then, then the polling numbers came out and I was at 2% or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I got, I got 11 to 14,000 votes in, 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 in the state of New Jersey, which is, mm-hmm. you know, you know, depending on how you look at it for somebody who didn't spend any money, um, you know, 11,000 people found out who I wasn't voted for me or, or at least were so disenchanted with, with the system that they voted for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but from there, I, you know, it, like then they went and they, they took the right to file a citizen's complaint away. Then, then I, you know, it, it just it became a burnout and I sort of withdrew. Um, so, I, you know, I have not really gotten involved in politics to any extent since then. You know, it, it just seems like the system is rigged and, you know, you, you're always voting for the lesser two evils. Okay. So final question before we get into uh, MMT stuff is what, so that, that was three years ago. Uh, so what, what, what have you been doing since then? Well, um, I took a job with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey as a tunnel and bridge agent. Which is ironic given the beginning of our yeah, discussion. Yeah, especially, especially <laughs> since those, that, that particular job title were, were the individuals at the George Washington Bridge, my coworkers, my colleagues, were the ones that were ordered to put those cones up. Mm. And um, a couple of days a week, if, if possible, when, you know, when that detail is open, I'll do the cone, cone work on Hudson Street and down by the Holland Tunnel. So, mm. I, you know, the, the idea that Chris Christie, when he joked and he said that he was actually the guy who put the cones down and he he had a hard hat and overalls on so nobody recognized him. Uh, let, let's just be clear. He is not fit or able to perform the duties of a tunnel and bridge agent because we, we do the firefighting. We do the emergency medical services. We do all the towing. We keep the, you know, the jurisdiction for the, for the, the approaches and the, the tunnel and the, and the exits all of the emergency services there are provided by the Port Authority. And Chris Christie couldn't possibly put on a self-contained breathing apparatus and fight a fire. Um, and he's know. a pretty recognizable guy, even with a full yeah, costume no, I mean, <laughs> he, 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 he was actually denigrating the title. He was acting as if this is just some low-level menial task that, that only morons do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, he's just not physically capable of doing the work that I'm doing right now. At least what I do now is an honest day's work and it's honorable and it helps people. And, and I, you know, so, uh, you know, I don't need to work, but I, it's fulfilling to, you know, when, when there's a 20 minute delay at, at the tunnel and you get a vehicle out of the tunnel or when, when, you know, when there's a potential for a fire or something like that, you, you're the person that they're going to be relying on. You're the person that they're going to go to. So it's 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 more meaningful than anything chris christie's done because all he does is promote himself and steal and that's his mo 
you know, it's grab power and grab money, grab money. Well, and he's going to run for president again. He's not mm. going to win. He knows he's not going to win, but it's a business for him. He gets mm. donations. He gets donations. He gets donations. He hires people for his campaign staff, and he gives himself money. He, he pays all his expenses out of this out of this campaign fund. And then he gets a small enough following of people that he's can throw their 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 votes to the the front runner, and then he sucks up to the front runner. Right. Um, okay. Okay. So now let's switch to economics, and and I'd like to. I'd like to get your thinking. I'd like to get your before you ever heard of MMT. What was your awareness? What did you follow? What was your interests? And what was your thinking regarding economics? Well, and, it was all tax based. Um, you know, I just felt that the tax code had been manipulated by people in power. That the trickle down economics of the Reagan era were were a failure. That it was all an upward movement of wealth at the, at the expense of unions, at the expense of working people. Um, and, you know, I thought that the solution to the econ- economic inequality was solely based on a tax structure and the incentives that we were given. So when people first floated MMT to me, you know, I, I bought into the theory that, you know, I bought into the idea that this is going to create inflation, that our money would be worthless if, if we just keep printing it and we have to pay our debt. And then, you know, over time, I, I started, you know, I... Sometimes I can be stubborn, but you know, I, I, if you give me a little time to think about it, I start arguing with myself, saying, "How can, how can we? Be, if if you can issue currency, how can you ever have too much debt? I mean, you know, if if you're spending it on the right things, then what's the difference if 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 I pay taxes or I don't pay taxes? If if I'm productive member of society and 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 the roads are built and there's an efficiency here and and I have health care and I have all the things that that a civilized society should provide for its citizens who do we owe this money to like and what happens if we don't pay it I mean the, the resources exist this planet is there's only one planet we're all in this biosphere and there's enough resources on the on this earth to support everybody that exists the problem is a handful of people have hoarded all the wealth and have determined how all the financial dealings of the government are are directed. You know, so now I'm 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 completely on board with the idea of minting the coin. Not uh-huh. so much that, not so much that we need to do it, but so much that it, it gives people a tangible notion of yeah, what well, what's the downside? We we printed all the, the the bills in circulation. We've we've generated Federal Reserve notes for all these years. Why don't we generate one now and avoid this debt ceiling issue? Okay, so before we we go farther into this, I still want to I want to know what was your thinking before it? What you know, MMT struck you? You, know, you said some some stuff about tax code, but like what what kind of financial stories or news or what was your interest before ever discovering this? I mean, you spent most of your life, all almost all of your life, following this stuff or understanding this stuff in a completely different way. So, can you? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I ever critically thought about the banking system or the government government politics and monetary policy. You know, I always felt that wages and taxes were the only way to look at the economy. I felt that the tax structure was crushing working people. You know, for example, and I still feel this way, I'll pay 30% tax on the wages I earn fighting fires for the Port Authority. But some guy who moves money around and, and gets capital gains, he'll pay 15%. What He just sat in a chair and and held stocks for a period of time and then sold those stocks. 
And I just felt that, you know, it, and, and corporations, they can, they can write off debt. You know, if, if they lease a, lease a fleet of vehicles and they pay interest on that lease or they buy a fleet of vehicles and they, and they borrow the money, they can take that, that car loan and they can deduct the cost of that car loan from their interest. But if I have a car loan, well, that's not deductible. So, you know, corporations, they want to be people and have personhood for the purpose of free speech, but they want to be a business for the purpose of taxation. And mm-hmm. it troubles me that you can, you can be both. When, when, when it suits you, you have the right to free speech like an American citizen. But when it, also when it suits you, you're a business and you can take interest deductions from your, your profit. Because if I make $100,000 and they charge me $30,000 tax, $30, in taxes, I can't deduct the $300 a month in credit card debt or, or, or credit card interest or, or, or car loan interest or personal loan interest because it's all personal debt. But if I'm a corporate personhood and I have $100,000 in profit, all of those things, those same things that me as a wage earner, I can't deduct from my taxable income become tax deductible. So it, it behooves them to borrow money from their friend at a, at a banking institution, pay that, that, that interest to that banking institution who in turn got their money from the Federal Reserve at no interest and deduct the interest that they paid from their, tax, from their profit. And it, it, it's not equitable. It's not equitable. And they're not. And they're not paying FICA. And they're not paying Medicare. And not paying Social Security. They're, they're not paying any of the. They're not paying unemployment insurance. They don't have the deductions on their profits that come pre-tax from my wages. And then they get deduction. They do get deductions from their from their their profits on things that I can't get as a citizen. But they, when it comes time to speak, they can dump unlimited amounts of money into a political campaign or a political action committee or an issue advocacy group, and they don't have to report it. Um, okay. So, so, and there's also the idea of uh, free market, you know, let's get the government off our backs and let's have free market, but. Yeah. But well, I, I mean, let's talk about that because if the free market were really going to prevail when the pandemic hit, American airlines would have gone bankrupt and they would have sold off the pieces of it to investors instead of protecting the shareholders. Because the amount of money that they gave in pandemic protection money to the corporations like Hertz and American Airlines and United Cru- Airlines. Cruise lines and stuff, right? Cruise lines was more than the total outstanding shares of the company were worth. They could, they could have just bought every share of American Airlines and owned the company outright for less than they bought, than, than they gave forgivable loans. And, and this really solidifies the modern monetary theory for me, because what happened? The Federal Reserve, for the first time in history, bought corporate debt. They bought corporate debt, and then they forgave it. So if they can do that for the corporations and just say, all right, we generated a trillion dollars in pandemic relief money, and I don't know what they generated, but let's just call it, let's call it a hundred billion. And a hundred billion dollars was 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 on a computer and generated and moved over to some ledger and then the debt was bought and then they could say oh well you didn't lay off your people for six months so no harm no foul you don't have to pay us back well the free market was not free there the free market was bought and paid for we we, the, the shares of american airlines should be all property of the united states of america 
if, if we're the ones that bailed them out. We bought, we, we bailed out the corporate shareholders and we did that over and over and over again. So these people who talk about the invisible hand of the market, if, the, if there was really an invisible hand of the market, it would have smacked down all these corporations that used their tax cuts to buy back stock. I mean, we inflated the value of their stocks with tax cuts. And then we bought all those stocks without buying them. We paid for those stocks to keep them in and to keep them solvent with Federal Reserve notes. And it just goes back to my original point. The money is not the problem. It's the people directing the, the, the use of that money that are the problem. Hmm. Yeah, that's almost exactly what I what I like to say. Um, the Federal Reserve only has the ca- the capability of buying U.S. Treasuries, exactly. which means which means that only you know corporations and, and incredibly rich people are the ones that they can touch. So they can't they can't buy personal debt off of citizens because citizens don't mostly but, but they, for own the first U.S. Time Treasuries. His, for the first time in history, they they didn't buy U.S. Treasuries with this pandemic money. They bought junk bonds from corporations. Okay, then I'm not aware. Then I'm not. Then I'm just not aware. Okay, okay. Um, you you kind of made the point that I wanted to make is that the idea of a free market is is like pretending that a a six plug power strip is plugged into itself and it will work, and that's completely nonsensical. It needs a power source, and in the case of money, the power source is the issuer. So they require the government to give them money. So when they get the, you know, the bailouts like you had just you had just talked about the bailouts and you know the fossil fuel industry is subsidized with I, I just read recently read an article eleven eleven million dollars a minute is is in subsidies to and, the and that doesn't fuel include industry. the that doesn't include the military that's out keeping the Straits of Hermuth open so that the fossil fuel industry can get its oil past the the, the dangerous waters in the in the Gulf right of course what they the the point is. Is that they don't want a smaller government off of our backs. They want the government to be very powerful for them and do nothing for us. That's what it, that's what they want. They want a powerful government. They just want it directed towards helping them and de- depriving depriving the rest. That's what they want. So this is not about getting rid of the government. This is about getting rid of the government from the points of view of poor people. Exactly. And yeah. it's always been that way. It's just that with the with the industrialization and the the computerization and and the modernization, they they've used the tools of modernization to concentrate more and more power and more and more wealth and, and more and more military might on their side. Sure. And you know the sad thing is, I, I'll give you an example. I had a guy at work yesterday. Did they know I'm I'm a Democrat? And there's a lot of people that I work with that are that are staunch Republicans. And he says, Joe Biden, Bill. And I'm like, well, what Joe Biden do to you? And he sits there and he thinks, he says, well, he hasn't done anything to me, but I know a guy. He decided not to take a job as a longshoreman making $50 an hour to be a cook. And his wife is getting free medical care. So because so he didn't have to take the job. And I, and, I, and I said to him, I said, you're really angry at the president of the United States because your friend chose to do work that he preferred to do and was able to make that choice because he had medical care. I mean, just think about what you're saying here. You're You're – you're mad that somebody else got some benefit and you don't care that American Airlines got bailed out and you don't care that the that, that, that corporations aren't paying taxes. But you're mad about the, the working class guy who decided he didn't want to lump, bo- you know, hump boxes on the, on the, 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 the docks 
and you're mad that I mean this whole idea that the that the poor guy's out to get you, and that if, if people aren't suffering, then they're not good people. Um, and that has to be that has to come from you know my taxes are being wasted on this lazy guy or whatever. Yeah, that's that's his mindset, and I don't know what you do with that kind of mentality. Where you know these damn immigrants are the problem. I mean, the immigrants are the most powerless people on the planet. They have no voting rights. They have no constituent. They have to take the worst jobs in the world. But somehow they're responsible for the decisions of government that have made your life less comfortable than you want it to be. Immigrants stole my job, right? Yeah, immigrants yeah. stole my job. Well, so, they're not even stealing our jobs. I mean, no. But, um, but, but my point <laughs> is, is that immigrants stealing my job is like they're, they're stealing American jobs. There's not enough jobs. We need to get rid of the immigrants. But who's the person that decides who to hire and who to not hire? So obviously, it's not the immigrant. They don't right. go into a job interview and put a gun against the guy's head. That doesn't make sense. And, so, obvi- and obviously, if, the, if, if hiring people for low wages was, was really a problem to the business community, they'd do something about it. But the business community likes to have an underclass of people that they can exploit because it, it makes it competitive. I mean, right now, for the first time in history, there's more jobs available that people won't take. But you know, when you're asking – Somebody to have a master's degree for $40,000 a year. No wonder nobody wants to be a teacher. You can make more money at Walmart as a cashier and a greeter than you can teaching students. Right. And, you know, I'm going to work 10 years before I can compete with the Walmart wage. Not to mention student debt while along the way as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just there's not a shortage of workers. There's, there's, there's a shortage of workers willing to be exploited at this point. And that's wow, what a good way of saying it. I've never, never heard it from that angle. I've always said there's not a shortage of workers. There's a shortage of good paying jobs. But I like how you said it actually even better. <laughs> Say that again. There's not a shortage of workers. There's a shortage of workers willing to be exploited. Wow. Well said. Well said. Wow. I never heard it that way. Okay. Well, that's the first time I ever said it. So <laughs> You just told me something, Bill. That's awesome. Um, uh, okay. So, so I mean, I know, I, I know we spoke about MMT early on in your discovering it, but like, so, so how more specifically do you recall like the things that introduced you to MMT? Like, what, can you describe that journey a little bit more? Or like well, how, do you have a memory of how you first heard about it? Yeah. I heard about it long before I met you and I sort of dismissed it. Um, I, I dismissed it because, well, it, the money's got to be back by something, and you know we got this debt, and you know I didn't really think about it. <laughs>